Welcome to the Friday Fraudster Podcast with Kelly Paxton, Pink Collar Crime Expert, Joe Irvin, your person for all things ethics, and Robert Barry, the guy who helps you ask better questions. Join them as they discuss sad, funny, and sometimes disturbing fraud stories. Be sure to catch past episodes on your favorite podcasting platform or go to www.fridayfraudster.com and grab some CPE while you're there. Ooh, hey. Hey. Looks like I forgot something. There we go. <laughs> Somebody made off with our background. <laughs> oh, and so it begins. <laughs> <laughs> So, Joe. Kelly, Kelly, you look different today. A little bit, a little bit. D- different shade of pink, you know? Yeah, <laughs> at least you're trying with that shade. She'd appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. So, look, let, let's just dive right into it. Uh, look, Bernie Madoff, I, um, I watched the documentary again this morning, actually. That, that's just how serious I take this. Um, I, I'm really sad after watching it again. I mean, I, you know, we try to keep the show lighthearted, but this was amazing. This was a, I, I really liked the way they did this one. Yeah. So if people don't know what the heck we're talking about, it's called The Monster of Wall Street. It's new on Netflix. It dropped, what, January 5th or something, I think. Yeah. Um, with just four episodes, they're all about an hour long. Rob, I'm very envious that you had four hours to watch it this morning. I was working while watching it. <laughs> that's like, for sure. Uh, working. <laughs> I've done a school drop off. Anyway, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I did. There's so much to this story that I think people don't realize. And what I liked about this documentary was that it brought out the little people And it brought out the people who were also a part of this, which everybody just blames Bernie. And there was so many, yes, you guys know how I do ethics. I do it in the big me's of the world, which is the Bernie Madoff's of the world. But the ethical rationalizers are 90% of us, you know, and I put us in a bucket, but it's those people who just, they have the blind spots to their ethics. Leaders are one huge blind spot, and Bernie Madoff is literally probably my best example to that because they just they were almost just in awe of him, right? And it was a blind spot to their own ethics. And yeah, so anyway, that's my soapbox. I think this documentary did a great job of explaining the whole story and all the different people in it. Yeah, yeah. So let's give a little background information. Bernie Madoff. He he started a penny stock fund back in the 1960s, I believe it was, or 70s. And, you know, it, it was just an okay fund. And at some point, he figured out how to uh, trade stocks. <laughs> That's a joke. He figured out how to manipulate people. He figured out how to uh, get inside the minds of people. So he was married. I think his wife's name was Ruth. He had two children and they all worked for him in his company, which when you look at the setup and design of the company, to me, was um, a big red flag in and of itself. So he was trading security. And his brother, too. Oh, and his brother. That's right. And his brother. So he was trading securities, but he wasn't registered 
to trade securities. So that's like the first huge red flag just waving in front of all of us. But he had the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. I forgot the exact number. It was what, 62 billion? Yeah. Mm, yeah. B. Yeah, the highest point. Yeah. So have you all ever fallen for a Ponzi scheme? No. You ever been approached by someone? Well, I mean, does, does, does a, being a fan of the Houston Texans count? <laughs> God. <laughs> wait, was it the Houston? Wait, wait, the Texans? That's okay. I'm not even going to say anything. Never mind. <laughs> I, I was thinking, my mind went to baseball and the whole like, um, what, wasn't that the team that was banging on the trash cans and stuff? Yeah, that was the Astros six years ago. Yeah. Right. Wrong team, wrong sport. Sorry, Thomas. Like, no worries, no worries. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. I had, when I, when I was a kid, I had a friend, and I say friend in air quotes, approach me about this way to make money. And he called it this brand new way. And if I just gave him $1,000, he would turn that into three within a couple of weeks. And so this is when I knew that I was destined to be an auditor because I was 16 years old at the time working at Burger King and I had money saved up because I'm frugal. So I asked, well, how do you make money on this thing? He said, oh, well, what you do is you go and you recruit others to join. I said, oh, okay. And so what happens when they join? He said, well, when they join, we put your name on a pyramid. He literally kept a pyramid. And he said, when your name gets to the top, then you get the payout. And everybody just keeps cycling back around. Wait a second. I thought you said Ponzi scheme, not pyramid scheme. That's, you know, never mind. It's a little different, but close, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm mixing them all together because someone just said in the chat, does MLM count? And so I kind of group them all together because they're very similar, right? But anyway, yeah. So so he uh, literally. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, you keep going. I like where you're going with this. I just was gonna kind of point out the difference, but. Oh yeah, there are major, there there are subtle differences. Sorry, but yeah. So so he said when everybody, you know, if you just keep putting back in, then you get to the top and 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 you get the payout. So I remember asking him one time. What happens when it just ends? And he was like, oh, nobody's going to stop this. They'll go on forever. So I'll tell you what he did. So one day we were all somewhere playing basketball. And I remember he drove up in his really nice car and he came out and he said, hey, you. And he picked one of our friends that was on the court playing ball and he gave him his payout. So that was a big shiny object in front of everyone. He got $3,000 in front of a bunch of 16-year-old kids back in 1989. That was a lot of money. So we all saw that, and we were all amazed and amused because he only put in $1,000. And so the friend kept telling us, hey, look, man, I only gave him $1,000, and look, this is what he gave us. And after that, everybody ran and signed up. Except me. I was going to say, wait, is everybody? Okay. <laughs> I was still like, well, what is this? So anyway, I think that we all can fall for this kind of nonsense. Let's say you, Joe and Thomas. 
Well, I, I, I must say, like, so we got some comments about that. The market, market, wait, multi-level marketing, can't speak, uh, business. So I have been part of one of those. But Ida said they're usually product-based, which is the one that I, I'm going to say fell for. But, you know, I think it was a test, right, on... Um, I, I don't know. It, it was uh, an interesting period of my life that I was did it. It was very short lived, by the way. Um, I always see like the pyramid scheme. I, I get what you're saying, kind of similar similarities, but the Ponzi scheme is the robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Kind of scenario. So it's like, what is that? Is it? Um, there's another scheme, and I want to say it's like kiting or you know the fraud schemes that we learned about back in the day um, that's, that's similar to this, but maybe it is just Ponzi. But anyway, um, I, I think that uh, if Kelly were here, she would say the one thing she would say would be there was just way too much FOMO going on, which yep. you're missing out, which like for you, Robert, you didn't fall for that in your example there, but a lot of people fell for that in this one. I mean, it was the shiny, shiny new investment on the block, right? And you didn't want to miss out on it. So kind of similar to your scenario there. Yeah, I, I'm saying I, I don't know if I, I would have said no if I was in your position, Robert. Like back then being a teenager, it, it would be very, very, very tempting to, to actually, if, if I had a thousand dollars as a teen, you know, to, to do something like that. I mean, the, the draw of being able to bring in easy money, I don't know if I would have been as wise as you at that point um but yeah i did have an instance when i was in my early 20s of a pyramid scheme opportunity and looked into it a bit tried to, to work it out and, and thankfully i got out and you know, no harm no foul but yeah i i almost got into a pyramid type situation yeah so i think we all can get into a fear of missing out Okay, and thank you, Richard, uh, for <laughs> supporting my check kiting. I couldn't think. I, sh I feel like these are these those things that you should know, and yeah. So thank you for <laughs> for backing but, me up there. But you've been just a little busy in the last two weeks, though, because what are you doing now? You are teaching internal marketing. So anybody who doesn't know, I took this thing called a full time job. Oh my god! Like. <laughs> Like after five years on your own, it's like, whoa. And when you're trying to be on your own too at the same time, it's been a lot. So January has been kind of a rough go. So sorry, I haven't been here. I missed last week. Um, but yeah, I'm teaching three internal audit courses, one undergrad, two graduate levels. One grad class is actually auditing the university. I've kicked off two audit projects. So much fun, you guys. Like I just I can't even explain. I've got the most amazing students and... I'm having a blast. I'm just a little busy, but anyway. Enough All right. <laughs> so, Mr. Mr. Madoff, a few things that he did, he did pretty well, right? At one point, his company was the sixth largest market maker in the S&P, but he also was the chairman of the Nasdaq Exchange, so he knew how to smooth people, but. Along the way, now what I found interesting was along the way in the documentary. So we're going to talk about the documentary and some of the things that it disclosed. There were some people who were naysayers. There was this one firm that came and asked one of their one of their forecasting, one of their people who does forecasting and modeling, 
to create a model that was similar to Madoff's. He sat down and he looked at the data and how well Madoff was performing. And there were a few things he said that caught my attention. One was, he said, well, he hit the market most of the time. I mean, he performed better than the market most of the time, sorry. It said that only 6% of the time did he perform along with the actual market, only 6% of the time. He also graphed out Madoff's activity and said that it was almost like a perfect 45 degree angle and that that was impossible. And he called him a fraudster, said that it was a Ponzi scheme. He said that no one could replicate whatever model Madoff was using. And it took him only a few minutes to figure that out by analyzing the data. Yeah. So when I do this all the time, like, <laughs> you know, it's like in this one, it wasn't even, it was just like, uh, this is impossible. Like he cannot be doing this good, you know? And somebody who was it early on, we have so many great people on today. Thank you guys for being on. Um, James, let's talk about the epic fail on the sides of everybody involved, right? And he listed his list there. But holy cow, I mean, Harry Markopoulos, he was on to all of this early. That's who, uh, that's who Robert's talking about. I got a book up here on my shelf. Harry Markopoulos is a hero. Um, and I think he is a, a model. <laughs> Although he's hated still by people. Like, I right. mean, that's the sad thing. Yeah. Whistleblowers, right? We know. We talk about that all the time. They're it's the hardest role to be in. Yeah. So so let's let's talk about the fraud scheme and when things really hit the fan because James has a really good point. Let's talk about the epic fail on the side of CPAs, attorneys, investment advisors, feeder funds, bank trust companies, the SEC, etc. So several people attempted to warn the SEC. The SEC they dropped the ball. Well, they sent in a couple of auditors to come and audit Madoff. And, well, what happens when you go in to audit a place? Who do you normally talk to? Oh, this is funny. Hey, by the way, can we call them regulators, though, and not auditors? I mean, let's keep our names clean. Very true. Very true. Because, I mean, that's really what they are, though. They're, they're the regulators, right? I know. I know. Just so, so they sent in the auditors from the SEC, the regulators. And who did they go see? Did they go see like the controller or the CFO or the compliance person like you normally would? I mean. Oh, no. They went straight to the top. Wait a minute. So you mean Bernie had enough time to entertain two auditors who were actually junior auditors, maybe one to three years of experience? He did. And you know what? He even went through their stuff when they left the room. <laughs> At least that's what the documentary said, which kind of grabbed me up. <laughs> anyway. So you mean these auditors didn't see it as a red flag that the president and CEO of this multi-billion dollar organization was taking the time to talk to them? Oh, no, they were probably like, what did they say? They were like starstruck. Everybody that talks about meeting with Bernie was starstruck, awestruck by him. Yeah, they were starstruck because apparently there were rumors that he might take over the SEC. Mm, yeah. And he might be their boss. Mm -hmm. And he outperformed the market and done had done so well. 
do you do you think uh do you think they kind of anticipated that a bit and maybe they were hoping to smooth the new you know the potential new boss you know getting good with them before he actually walked in do you think that could have been some bias in there from them absolutely that's bias on the part of the uh auditors who were sent there to audit the records yes yeah which you know we all know we need to have we need to be as bias free as possible right i just taught this last night in my grad class it's part of our code of ethics people there you go now, now, joe speaking of your grad grad class are you giving uh, like is it an assignment to be watching friday fraudster or extra credit or anything like that you know, it isn't it isn't yet um i've got so many assignments but one that i did do that i think you guys will like which kind of i got the idea from friday fraudster is i actually gave them a case to pick a scandal so pick a friday fraudster episode right and i told them to look at shows like Wendell podcast american greed you know to kind of get ideas i should have told them to watch our show though to thomas's point uh, and what I'm having them to do, do is actually use hindsight because I said hindsight is 2020. And if you could go back in time and perform an audit or do a project, tell me the risks, tell me the governance problems, tell me the controls that failed, give me your recommendations that would have prevented it. And so they're kind of using a fraud. And I said, somebody could use do Bernie. What would have caught it? You know, where were the, all those red flags? So anyway, kind of um, funny that you say that. I, since I'm using my own textbook, somebody asked me what, I, what textbook I'm using. So I've got the brand new, like fifth edition internal audit textbook, but you guys know those are like this big and like $300. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm using TQA and obviously a lot of my internal audit principles. So I'm trying to point to myself as not the only resource, Thomas, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like that. I, I feel like I'm a little biased, of course. <laughs> Speak, speaking of bias, Bob Wessler makes a really good point. He said, having bias makes them regulators instead of auditors. <laughs> Okay, so here's what's really interesting, though. While watching the documentary, and they were interviewing Bernie at certain points, they asked, um, they asked him, when was the first time you thought you were going to get caught or something like that? And he said that it was the late 90s, early 2000s, because they were close to running out of cash and close to really getting things wrong. But what saved him was September 11th when the terrorist attacks occurred because the focus was no longer on necessarily the banking industry. It was on terrorism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that, I, I, isn't that fascinating? You know, that's why the McDonald's fraud, the monopoly came fraud, you know, he was sentenced on September 10th. So the day before 9-11. And so nobody really heard about that. I mean, it was you know, maybe in the news a little bit, but after that, nobody, nobody came. I mean, we had so many other things to worry about. So, I mean, there was that time in our lives where kind of things got brushed under the rug because of that. So, so now there were a couple of other things that, that kind of sparked some concern too. So he was literally making millions and billions of dollars worth of wire transfers within the bank. And so someone brought up the point of, shouldn't that have alerted JP Morgan? Because you have to fill out a suspicious activity report, a SAR, every time there is money exchanging like that. So what happened? And, and what about the fact that he went into a meeting at the SEC, Bernie Madoff himself went into a meeting 
and they asked him for his bank account, not his bank account. What is it? The clearing, the, the clearing account, clearing account. He literally wrote down the right number. And if they had just checked it, they would have seen nothing was going through that clearing account. But like, why didn't they check it though, Joe? Um, be, be, I don't know why did they really, they didn't really say, they just said, I mean, they just trusted him. They didn't really say, but I think there were two things. You you hit one, trust. trust. The I second mean, thing was, was perfect timing. Yeah. It was a Friday afternoon. Before, yep, yep, yep. Okay, yeah. And the banks were going to be closed on Saturday and Sunday. So now he gave them this information on a Friday. He wooed them. Mm -hmm. They loved him. By Monday, they had forgotten about it. Oh. That also would have shown, like you just said, that there was no activity flowing through that bank account or not enough to substantiate the type of activity that he was doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can we talk about too that? Like, I think what this documentary did a really good job of, with is talk about like the two different floors of his building, like his legitimate building yep. business that wasn't making very much. In fact, it was losing money. And then on the 17th floor, that's what a lot of this talks about, right? The 17th floor employees the people who were literally looking back at the days prior and making up trades and printing bank statements on doc, not bank statements, uh, you know what I mean? Statements on what doc yeah. printers on the 17th floor. I mean, there was six, seven employees that did this. And I just, can you guys imagine going to work every day knowing that what you're doing is just fraud? I mean, two IT guys, obviously, uh, Frank, right? What's Frank's last name, Rob? I can't remember. Oh, God, I can't remember uh, it either now. Pascali or something like that. Um, it's amazing to me. And he actually passed away before he could even go to jail, I think. so. But he was a huge, he was the one that did this for Bernie. So, I mean, I think this documentary, more than some of the others, all the other, like, Madoff shows, somebody mentioned Richard Dreyfus and, you know, everybody that's played Madoff, it's been all about Madoff, right? The drama around him, his family, who played Ruth, who played the sons. You know, there's so much tragedy around this story that Hollywood loved that part. I liked this documentary, got into the nitty gritty of who else was involved and all of the procedural stuff. Yeah. And so for those of you who don't know what Joe is referring to, so essentially in Madoff's business, he would go in the day after the stock market made its moves and then fake trades. And that's how he would record what really happened in the gains, gains, quote unquote, I say that in air quotes, that were made for his clients. And he had a whole nother floor where those people worked. And the people on the legit business floor had no idea that the other employees even existed. And it was to a point where the fraudulent business actually subsidized the legitimate business during some years when it lost money. And what I also just to kind of talk about the kind of highlights of the difference in this documentary, you know, obviously they spent a lot of time talking to people who worked there, like in the on the legitimate uh, floor. So like his mm -hmm. admin of 30 plus years, hey, you no, know, it's, emotional talking about it. I mean, she basically was around as Bernie and Ruth were raising their two boys. And so, I mean, she gets choked up when they talk about the suicide of, of one of them, sadly, um, due to all of this, it was actually on the two year anniversary of, I think the, the fraud coming out, but, um, it, it's great to see that personal side of it. There was a main trader that was interviewed a woman 
you know, a lot there. And um, anyway, I think that was, again, the benefits of this one. It was. You know, really I haven't good, seen but... it yet, and I look. I'm, I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm definitely going to be watching it tonight to check it out. But uh, this reminds me a lot of some of the coverage with Theranos, and especially like Bad Blood and some of that, where we didn't just get about Elizabeth Holmes, right? We are able to, you know, see the perspectives of the different employees and you know quotes from them and understand what they were going through and some of the ethical dilemmas that they were facing. And so it, it, it's nice to get more of a picture because yeah so often we see something in the news or something happen and you're like well why didn't anybody say something you know why wasn't and you don't you don't know were they complicit or were they just ignorant or, or what so it's nice that they actually cover some of those details right yeah absolutely yeah and it, it does it makes me think of like anyone i was thinking the whole time why hasn't the admin of bernie madoff written a book you know because you think about it, like Tyler Schultz wrote a book, right, about, you know, and, and did the book on Audible. And I mean, she really could have could have written a book. Anyway, it is nice to see these other perspectives on yeah. it. I agree with you there. So all in all, approximately 17 employees were charged. Uh, and then Peter Madoff has pled guilty. The two computer programmers were sentenced to, I believe, 10 years. Frank Paskelly. That's his yep. name, Joe. He uh, cooperated with the government. And, and so because he cooperated, he was able to remain free for a very long time. And it wasn't until after everyone else was sentenced that they were going to get to him. But he died of lung cancer and was never sentenced. Now, another thing that struck me as really sad and interesting was in court, Bernie turned around and he apologized to his uh, victims. But they... Some of the people actually refer to him as a, quote, financial serial killer. Um, and, and I really I really I feel that I see that. And here's here's the other thing, too. Kelly would have loved this. And when I say love, I mean loathed. Uh, the Picard law firm billed over one billion dollars to oversee the trusteeship. Now, within that a lot of them began going after some of the victims. So here's what they did. There was a clawback clause. So what they did was they looked at some people who had actually financially benefited from Bernie Madoff over the years, and they did calculations. And people who actually benefited more than they lost, meaning they made a profit, they began to sue those people to get the money back. And they do a great job, the documentary. They interview one particular couple Yes. That you guys will really feel for by the end of it. I mean, they are just the most genuine, you know, business owners that invested everything with him. And they ended up having to pay back because they had been with Bernie so long and had actually made out OK. You know, they had even though they lost everything still, basically, you know, yeah. but because they had been able to live off some earnings, fake earnings, yeah. they they had to pay some back. Yeah, you'll get really involved in them. As well. I found the husband's response to be um, very good, and it made me extremely, extremely sad. So, and I won't give it away, but yeah. it, it was it was very he he was very humble and he was very polite, and it was also very sad. But here's here's one thing that you have to wonder about too. So, if we deposit money in the bank, it is protected up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars by the FDIC, right? Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So the, the question you would ask, surely there's some insurance for investors. Well, there is. 
and it's called the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, the CIPIC. But it's well known that this insurance fund is underfunded. As a matter of fact, yeah. firms pay $150, not per customer, not per dollar, but per year in total to be a part of this. <laughs> Isn't insurance. that laughable? Yes. That is laughable. Huge banks. When I heard $150, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so can we go? So Andrea said it reminds her of the big short. And Andrea, I mean, funny enough, the big short and what happened in 2008, that's how Bernie got blown out of the water. So yeah. I mean, the correlation there is that, that that is what, that's the only reason. I mean, people literally say if that hadn't happened, Bernie could have continued until he died. So yep. crazy. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened during the, during the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, when everything came crashing down, people wanted their money and essentially did the equivalent of a bank run on Bernie Madoff, right? <laughs> so and he had no money. What did he have? Like $290,000 in the bank or something. And he, at this point, had billion, 60 billion, right? They're saying that he owed people. Um, and by the way, what I love about the documentary are the points in time how they stop, almost stop it and say, if <laughs> he had shut Bernie down right now, the losses would have been $6 billion. If they had shut him down now, it would have been $30 billion. If they shut, you know, and it's kind of the Harry Markopoulos timeline of all the times he wrote the letters to the SEC. And, you know, they go, they do a great job of presenting that. But I like how they say it would have been this year, this year, this year, you know, but it, but it took this. I mean, nobody caught this. The bubble burst. So, yeah. So let's talk about Markopoulos. This man is a freaking hero. He went to the SEC first and he said, look, this isn't right. And they kind of shooed him away. He spent the next eight years investigating, putting together documentation. He appeared before uh, uh, Congress, you know, and. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say they show a little bit of his testimony in yes. there. Oh, yeah. You guys have to watch that. I mean, what he says, he says what he was like the most hated guy or something like he calls himself something. But his testimony is like black and white. Like there is no softening anything. up. It's crazy. He even says that when he walked into the room, he looked over at the SEC and gave them the basically I'm going to rip you a new one look. And he ripped them a new one. The failures were many and he tried to point them out. But it kind of goes back to what we talk about on most shows. Whistleblowers are the most needed people around here, but are the most disrespected um, and are just harmed in the most egregious ways possible. And I still don't understand why that is. Yeah, I know. I hope that gets better. You know, I was even talking to my students last night about that. Um, because, you know, I, I, we were actually talking about ethics and technology and, uh, I was saying, you know, we all need to follow the EU, right? They seem to do things better first. And one of the things that they've been working on for a couple of years now is the whistleblower, um, policy and stuff over there. So anyway, we were just talking about that and how much better it needs to be here. 
I've got a client that I'm the outsource controller for, and they're a publicly traded company, and they dealt with fraud within their organization before I got there. And it's such a small company where you can count the number of, of employees on one hand. They're so small. And when you're that small and you don't have you know the, the millions or billions in revenue either, being a whistleblower, I mean, that's you know life altering you know, or can be. And yeah, it, she almost had to go to the SEC to report it, but she, looking back, she's not even like confident she would have done that because it, it would have just caused so much personal strife and personal issues. It would have been easier just to walk away and find a new job. And I right. agree, we need to do something, not just on the, the, the big level, but on the, the smaller companies as well to help incentivize true whistleblowing and uh, to stop some of this fraud from happening. And I, I, there's no easy solution, right? But uh, but yeah, it's definitely got to be improved. Yeah. yeah, there is no easy solution, but there is a hard solution. Teach people morals and ethics. Teach people not to lie. I mean, that's just, I mean, it, it really boils down to a lot of that. We live in a world of too much gray at this particular point in time. But back to Joe's point about ethics and technology. So folks, let me talk to you about something. Look, you if you follow me on LinkedIn, if you don't, you should. If you if you don't, you see that I post a lot about artificial intelligence. You see the opening to our show is a lot of AI. The closing is a lot of AI. If you watch my other audit podcast, Audit Bites, you see that there's a lot of artificial intelligence characters that I use because I think auditors. No, I know auditors need to understand AI because it's driving a lot of what we do. So coming up this Wednesday, I'm having a special edition of Audit Bites and I'm doing it in conjunction with MindBridge who has AI technology that helps auditors work better in the workplace. You should tune in because it's going to be extremely informative. You're going to see me forming some additional alliances with people who do artificial intelligence and auditing because as internal auditors, we don't need to have to understand how to audit the actual models, but we do need to understand the processes around AI, the governance, the how things are done, the approval processes, the ethics, the ethics, of course, the ethics. So that is why also on Thursday of next week, I want you to join me for an introduction course, introduction to auditing artificial intelligence. I'm going to drop the link in the chat for you. It's February the 2nd at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Now, let me also say this. This course is not free. You're used to getting a lot of free stuff. I do understand that this is not free. The reasonable rate, but what we're going to talk about are the basics of AI. You've seen me do AI art. You've seen me do AI with characters, and you've seen me talk about chat GPT. Every good auditor should try and experience things before they audit them. This is why I've done this. So Wednesday... By the way, did you know your artic or your post on chat GPT and Buzz? BuzzFeed was uh, featured by LinkedIn News today. Did not know that, really? Uh-huh. Yep, you're Sweet. one of like five yep, features today on LinkedIn News. So congrats, Rob. Sweet. Doing great so, Sorry, go ahead, Joe. No, I just said you're doing great things, bringing, I mean, bringing all this to the surface. Yeah, I, I think it's important because um, when you look at the things that we can do with AI, we're going to see a lot more fraud. And if auditors don't even dream of the possibilities, let's just say, for example, we all use banking software and we call into that number and it tells us to press 
a number to get our balance and we continuously press zero and say operator. <laughs> well, there are ways to game those systems. Those are just AI systems. And if we've never looked at those as an auditor, then something is really, really wrong. Um, I want to know, um, Robert, <laughs> all, all, the, the, the question, or all the stuff I've read is I'm in this higher ed space now, right? Which you can appreciate. You've been there. Um, but kids using things like chat GPT to write papers, right? And this is what now all the professors are worried about. So you got to keep me in the loop on making sure that uh, my kids aren't using it for their case, case studies and memos. I, I feel like I'll be able to tell from what I read, but I, I think I might need to come to your course. Well, did you hear about the, someone purposely used uh, the, the AI to, uh, I think it was either write a paper or, or take a test for an MBA class. And they got yeah. a, it, the professor knew it, it was just a, a test there to see if it would work out. And they got like a B or B minus just using uh, that AI system. So there, yeah. there are a couple of other things too. It has passed, uh, I believe it's Stanford's MBA test, the, the exit test that you take. Was it Stanford? It was one of the big schools. One of the big schools. I don't think it was Stanford, but yeah. Basically an encyclopedia brain, right? Like, I mean, I right. don't know. So of course it would. I mean, if it's just basic factual question. Yeah. However, it failed the CPA exam. Oh. How about that? How about that? That's, that's because of those dang essays. Well, I don't know. I guess that's, <laughs> I was like, don't you have to write like a whole case on that? You do. But now, but now let, let's take this back to, to, to Madoff, though. Um, yeah. If they had just listened to the young man who analyzed, yeah, it was Warden. Thank you, Bonita. It passed the Warden yeah. MBA exam. Thank you so much, Bonita. But if they had just listened to the young man who ran the data, they would have discovered that Madoff was a fraud well before the yeah. stuff hit the fan. And this is why AI is so important, though, because it can be used to prevent and or detect fraudulent activity. I really hope it makes regulators lives easier because, you know, I mean, I really do, because so much of this should be automated regulations with the technology that we have today. Yeah, you know, it was funny at the beginning when you talked about uh, he had consistent uh, growth or consistent returns there. The first thing that popped in my mind, and as, as people, if you're watching the show, I am a little bit of a nerd wearing a Marvel jersey right now. Uh, but the, the, the uh, Dark Knight, they, uh, one of the issues with uh, the Chinese um, company was that they had a consistent 6% growth in revenue year over year over year. They said something doesn't look right here. So, I mean, something, you know, if, it, if there's a consistent something that should never be 100% consistent like that, that should be an immediate red flag that there's something being manipulated there. But sorry, you know me, I've, I've got to throw in something geeky in here whenever I'm here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's great. Thanks, Thomas. You'll be watching Madoff, Monster Madoff, and I'll be watching The Dark Knight this weekend. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> I think I need to watch The Dark Knight now because. I, I, I remember that, but I vaguely remember that. So okay, I got, I got, I know, I don't know how much time you guys have, but I got one plug because Robert, I got to do my plug for the fraud retreat only because of this, you all. It's not purely selfish reasons. Um, and by the way, I had somebody from Louisiana sign up for the fraud retreat last night. Don't know the person, but I am so Whoa. excited that they just signed up. Awesome. I have not been great at marketing it, so I'm amazed that we're getting so many people. Don't worry, I'll do a commercial for you. Please do. Um, so we have one of the FBI agents 
coming to the fraud retreat that worked the Bernie Madoff case. So that is my plug for come because if you want somebody who's got actual pictures of things that they uncovered during the case, uh, Paul Roberts is coming. Paul Roberts Jr., he still works for the FBI. So he's coming really on his own time. He had to go through the FBI ethics committee and tell them about the fraud retreat in order to come and speak to us. So kind of cool. I um, am just glad he's coming and somebody different that I bet a lot of you haven't heard from. And uh, come, please, August. You got so much time to plan and save and whatever. You better be there. All right. So, Joe, uh, audiences. By the way, Thomas. Talking to you. I know. I know. I, I want to get out there. <laughs> Wait, want? Um, hello, Denver is so beautiful in August. You are coming. It really is. I mean, it, okay, it, it so was, everybody it that's bad. watching and listening Friday Fraudster, if you need outside consulting work, you will help pay for my trip to go see <laughs> the Friday Fraudster or, or Friday Retreat. All right. <laughs> you know, you know what I thought you were gonna say. I, I thought you were gonna say to my wife, if you were watching the Friday, Fraudster, <laughs> please let me go. <laughs> to... <laughs> It is August 3rd and 4th this year, Anita. It's a Thursday and Friday, so everybody can stay for the beautiful weekend. I even got the hotel rates to go from the 1st through the 6th, the 6th or 7th, I think. So people can literally stay and enjoy Denver. So, yeah. it's And it's it's cheaper this year than last year. So, oh, is it? So, so Joe, our audience is helping you out. Bob said you can consult GPT-0 or oh. uh, something called... AI writing check. And Sono says that uh, she's seen it happen at the master's level. At the end of the day, it can be argued that it consolidates research, but she would hope that people wouldn't copy it word for word. So let me say this. I've used a couple of those programs. And I said this before, either on Audit Bytes or here last week, I can't remember, but I've used a couple of those AI detection writer checker thingies. And I think that they're hit or miss. And here's why I say that. I took an article from my website that I had written like seven years ago. And I know I wrote it because there were no AI writers back then. And I put it in one of them and it said, eh, this could have been written by AI, but we're not really sure, but you're on the line. And I'm like, nope, didn't exist back then. But I've also taken some content directly from some AI writers and it said, Ooh, no, this was a human. But it's been fairly accurate, but there are some, some things where it's like, eh, you know, but of course, that's the auditor in me had to do that. You could never accuse a student of, I mean, like, that's just, I don't know. For me, it would be hard to accuse somebody based on a tool like that that maybe doesn't have accurate results. That would be hard. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> GoFundMe? You just set up a GoFundMe to go to the <laughs> That That was funny, Bonita. That was hilarious. I like that. Um, <clears throat> oh, oh can, can I say one more thing? Because our friend Kelly isn't here, who talks about pink collar crime, we all know, right? Low level, lower level employees, you know, um, embezzlements, pink collar crime. You've got white collar crime, right? Bernie Madoff types. He's considered a white collar criminal. I've heard people refer to blue collar crime as, you know, like your typical street crime. I don't know whether that's really a thing. But for those of you who don't know the name Frank Perry, he was on Kelly's podcast, Fraudish now is what it's called. He does red collar crime, um, which is obviously um, crime that's turned violent, you know, in, or, you know, white collar crime that's turned violent. And when I think of Bernie Madoff, I don't think people really equate all of the sad stories to kind of come full circle to Robert started this by saying this story makes him sad. 
um, there are more than just his son that committed suicide. I mean, there was another uh, investor, um, kind of, he wasn't an investor. How would you explain the one gentleman that was, he was almost like an investment bank. He invested other people's money in Bernie. And so yeah. when he lost all those people's money, right? Uh, when it, at the end of the day, and he killed himself as well. And, um, you know, Bernie's other son died of cancer, you know, a couple of years later. So obviously that was, was different circumstances, but, uh, I just feel like it just interesting to me that this one kind of had a bit of red collar crime in it as well. And what, what, what are you laughing about? Oh, Jay's oh sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have, I wasn't laughing at you. So for anybody listening on the podcast and not watching, we have comments rolling in. I'm not laughing at Joe because this documentary did make me sad, but we had Jay Wagner comment that one of his employees just asked today to go to the iHeart audit conference because they like me and Joe so much. <laughs> That's so sweet, Jay. This is, yeah. I, By the uh, way, Jay, I have an email in my inbox from you. Please don't think I'm ignoring you. I have just been <laughs> insanely busy. So I will. And write I just got a LinkedIn message from you too, Jay. So I'll take a look at that after this show is over. Yeah. Jay, it's being ignored. Um, but yeah, I heard audit. That's early in March, right, Rob? I'm keynoting with uh, Tracy Brown, who's the body language expert. She's doing a keynote. So she's here from in Colorado too. So that's going to be a good conference. I like her. I mean, and, and Joe is great too, but that Robert guy, I, I don't know what you guys plan on <laughs> learning from him. He's just. Yeah. Who else is doing it? Is Trent doing it? I don't know. It seems like there's. Yeah, Trent's going to be there too. And I think uh, uh, Joe's going to be there. Joe with an E. Joe Horowitz? Yeah, Are Joe Horowitz. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So well, it, right. it has a really good. Oh, Emily says she has on her I Love Audit. Shirt, which, by the way, can be found on my website, thatauditguy.com. Yeah, today is just a day for plugging everything. I mean, <laughs> Robert, I, uh, you know, I told you I shrunk mine. My <laughs> 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 audit shirt, I think I need a new one. I'm going to have to take it on the side there. Either that or I'm gaining weight. Yeah, I don't know what uh -oh. that is. <laughs> Let's just say that it shrinks. Let's yeah. say that. You know what? Okay, so look, so, so today has been interesting because. We talked about Bernie Madoff and, and how bad that was, the situation, and how AI would have saved it, and how next week I'm actually doing two things on artificial intelligence that you need to attend. Have you also heard that there's a shortage in our profession for accountants and auditors? There's a, a People don't want to go to school for it. And, and you know what? Part of the reasons that they're citing, too, is the work is so boring. Think about this. You graduate with a degree in accounting and you go and you do work that you know can be automated. Like in your mind, you know that there's a better way to do it. But because firms need to build, they continuously use antiquated methodologies. <clears throat> well, you know, honestly, I, my audit class that I took, I, I wasn't a fan of auditing either. Now, I say that I actually enjoyed the mock auditing that we did and some of the the stories and such but getting down to the the specifics behind you know what we do and and you know what an attribute is and you know from a, a textbook standpoint and some of that was just so just draining on me and i just wanted to get through it so i think sometimes we get very technical when it comes to the the teaching side i'm sure joe doesn't but you know some others they get so technical on it that you don't see what true auditing is, right? It, right? It's so easy to get bogged down on it. And actually mentioning that, um, 
I, I want to give a quick congratulations to the professor that I had uh, at Sam Houston State University for auditing, uh, Ronnie Daigle. Uh, professor Daigle actually just won the Southwest Region of the American Accounting Association Best Educator of the Year Award. That was wow. kind of a mouthful, so I had to read it. So congratulations, uh, yeah, Professor Daigle. He was a great guy. He was a lot of fun and, and really tried to make it entertaining, even though the textbook was very, as I said, very difficult to get through. But uh, so, so yeah, that, I, I think. Was that like an audit and attestation class, like an external audit? Because most universities, that's like their core class, right? right. And they talk about internal audit for like a day, maybe, but. Um, uh, paragraph. It's been a few years since I took that class, but I believe it was actually internal audit. Really? I, well, I, I at least I remember mostly the internal audit side of it. So I don't know if they also touched on the external, but I know that we touched a lot on the internal audit side. Very nice. Cool. I'm gonna look him up. So congratulations. Good shout out. So so yeah, all kinds of good stuff happening in our profession. So listen, that means we need to tell people how good it is to work as an auditor now. There's one group that I know that is doing something to try and increase our numbers. The National Association of Black Accountants, specifically the Detroit chapter. Well, just watch this and we'll come back. Are you currently a high school student who's wondering what it's like to have a career in accounting or business? The Detroit chapter of the National Association of Black Accountants will be having its 21st accounting career awareness program. ACAP is a free one-week summer residency program for high school students. The program provides workshops such as job search strategies, business ethics, and more. Students that apply and are accepted will stay on the beautiful downtown Wayne State University campus for one week. All expenses paid. This year, the program will run from Sunday, July 16th through Friday, July 21st. For more information and to apply, visit our website at navadetroit.org slash ACAP. So if you know anyone who's interested in the accounting profession, there's a National Association of Black Accountants in most major cities, but specifically Detroit, they have this program going on and all of them have a similar program. Reach out if you know someone that should apply, have them apply so we can have some Good auditors, good grief. By the way, by the way, what you just saw, that was artificial intelligence. I knew Designed there was gonna, by me. I knew there was gonna be a plug there somewhere. <laughs> so, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. Hey, um, I was at a Meet the Firms event this morning, by the way, at one of not my university in Colorado, but since I'm the academic relations person for the Denver IA, I go to all the universities. Um, so I was at DU, Denver University, or the University of Denver this morning, and there the head of accounting actually came over and she was telling people that she didn't think many students would be there today because the ones, the accounting students that, you know, are truly wanting to do accounting, they've already accepted jobs. So that that's how lacking, I mean, we are lacking the people. I mean, we have we had 20 firms in the room. I was just there, you know, representing the nonprofit, the, our association, but um, they're all looking for people and we maybe had, I don't know, uh, not enough students there. So anyway, I just wanted to support your point there, like from this morning, real time in Colorado. Yeah. Well, I think we need to make it fun for them and start teaching them things that matter, you know, yeah. teaching them 
how to use AI, teaching them soft skills that will help them ascend in their career, teaching them ethics so that they can make sound business decisions. I think there's a curriculum yeah. shift that has to happen. Yeah, so I like our grad program. Actually, they reached out to all the grad professors and they said, we want to know how you're building ethics into your course. And they they really, it's now a requirement in the curriculum committee that you have an ethics day. So I actually did mine with my grad class last night. And I mean, it they love it. That's the best part about talking to these students about ethics. Uh, and to me, because they their minds are blown that people wouldn't stand up and do the right things or that an audit executive wouldn't audit an area they're they're like why you know and it's it's so funny i'm like okay the real world right it, it's different than than in than us sitting here saying you know we wouldn't do that and so but it's it's been i think it, i bottom line i'm agreeing with you they love it, it they have such great insights and comments and um i i loved ethics day i would do ethics day every day of the week <laughs> Every day is an ethics day, though. I mean, you know, there is an ethics day, a global ethics day in October because I always do a webinar on it. So there is that. Yeah. But anyway, if we, if we also touched on how we we're not the police of the of an organization, right? We also have the opportunity to really advise and help add add value, as, as much as I hate that term, to an organization and help advise on you know best business practices and things that we can do to help improve an organization. So. Yeah, a lot that's never really you know pushed as much. And I think if you can see that you can really positively impact companies, I think that would also help get more students in too. Yeah. And to answer your question, Thomas, I am not technical. I talk about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I do I do believe you. I call I told my students, I call it real world auditing. You know, we're gonna get out there, we're gonna talk about what it what it should be like, whether it's like this or not is questionable in a lot of places, but Anyway, I got to run, you guys. This was a fun episode. Thank you. All right. Bye. We'll wrap it up and take Bye. it home. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday. So, yeah, James says you never know how you will act until you're in that situation. Uh, very true. I do agree with that. And um, Roger says makes no sense to do accounting with a, without ethics. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, Thomas, any closing words, parting words? Closing word, party words. I look forward to seeing that uh, that show on Netflix. I'll definitely make sure I check it out. And I recommend for others too as well, obviously. Um, but also if you, uh, I've mentioned my controls guidebook a couple of times uh, here on the show. It is actually now available on Amazon. You can get it in paperback and ebook. Uh, so that's something exciting that I just did. I'm thinking about writing another one, focusing on IT and cybersecurity for small businesses. We'll see what, what we'll see when that happens. It'll happen. We'll see when it happens. But also, uh, not just those in Houston, but uh, I will be sharing it soon. Robert, I haven't told you about this yet, but on Thursday from twelve to one, I'm going to be on a local radio station here. Uh, it's I think it's ninety point one on your FM dial, but I'll I'll share the link where you can stream it online as well. Uh, just talking about uh, fraud and helping small businesses to know how to prevent it and what to look for and kind of do your own internal audit type work to protect your company. So uh, I look forward to that opportunity and I'll make sure to share some links online so everybody can uh, hopefully listen in and maybe even call in. Oh, call in. Uh, and call in. Wait, they still do that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I have to watch my tongue. <laughs> that is awesome. So 
episode number 92. He he made off with all the money. Nice discussion about Bernie Madoff. If you think that some of your friends would like to hear this, point them to my website, fridayfroster.com, or go to your favorite podcasting platform. We are on all of them. And here's what I want you to do while you're there. Give us a five-star review because I think we're worth it. Don't you? Until next week, see you guys later.